Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning, we are continuing our sermon series that we began last week, sermon series that we're calling God's Fingerprint, Our Values. And each week in this series, we are examining one of our values that recently was discerned and adopted by our session. That's those who currently serve as elders and your two pastors. And these are values that we believe God has imprinted on PCTR like a fingerprint. And it's also like a fingerprint because we believe the values that God has imprinted on us are unique to us. That we're not the same as every other church and they're not the same as us and that's okay. That's actually good and right and beautiful because each church uniquely reflects God's character to the world in ways that are hopefully consistent with what he has put into that part of his church. And so in this series, we're intentionally looking at our values each week so that we can also intentionally live into them more fully. Yeah, we believe and trust that they do reflect who we actually are in reality, but we also believe that like individuals, like all of us, there's room to grow. And so we want to name and understand these values so that we can not just accidentally live into them, but we can purposefully aim at them, that we can be more fully and authentically the people that God's made us to be as a church. So this morning, as we move into today's value, I want to start with a bit of a confession. When I'm at home doing dishes, it's often late at night. It's once everyone has gone to bed or at least has gone and hiding in their own room. Uh, I often will just turn on in the background the game show network. That's my confession to you. And maybe it's just my love for random trivia that's pretty useless or just a little bit of a competitive streak in me. But I have the game show network on. And frequently at that hour, what's on is Family Feud. And so if you know Family Feud, right, it's the idea is that you have to try to guess what a hundred people who were surveyed about a question, what did they say? What was the highest response? And sometimes those questions are fill in the blank questions. And so as I was thinking about this message this week, I was thinking about Family Feud. So I want your help right now. So I want you to fill in the blank, right? We surveyed a hundred people and fill in the blank. Family blank. Family, what? And friends, good. Oh, come on, this is the interactive portion of our day. Like we're proving our Presbyterian. Okay, family, love, and connection. Family, blank. Family, gathering. Family, values, good. Family, matters. Family, tree. Family, reunion. Family, guy. Family, vacation. Family crisis, family disaster, family pain, right? Those are also true when we start thinking about family. And there you go. So the value you may have gathered that we're exploring today is family. 
And I just want to acknowledge as we jumped into this, that this is a hard word (laughs) because we each have families. Even if you don't know your biological family, that has made an impact on you. And so when we think about family, we all bring our assumptions and our experiences, our hopes and our heartaches. And so it's a challenge for us to untangle our backgrounds. Family is also a challenging word to live into in its fullness if we take it seriously. But it's also a great word to capture this value that God has imprinted on PCTR. And so as we jump into this this morning, I want to invite you to consider what does Jesus have to say to us as we seek to understand and even live into what it means to be family. And we're going to do this through the lens of John chapter 13. If you want, you can follow along on the screen. But let's hear as as God speaks to us clearly from his word. When he was gone, that is Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and proclaiming of your word, that you would refine it, that we can not just hear it, but we can receive it and we can respond as you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's Jesus with his now 11 disciples. Judas has just left to sell Jesus out for 20 pieces of silver. And Jesus is talking about glorifying himself and glorifying the Father. And what all this means is that the wheels are now in motion. The plan is unfolding and it will not be undone. Jesus will, in fact, be betrayed. He will be arrested. He'll be denied. He'll be mocked. He'll be beaten. He'll be condemned. He'll be crucified. He will rise from the dead and he will ascend to heaven to be with the Father. And in all of it, Jesus will be honored for his profound obedience the revelation of his love. He'll be vindicated in his resurrection and the father will be glorified because of Jesus's deep obedience and love for the father. And so this begins what is often known as the farewell discourse because Jesus is saying farewell. He's saying goodbye to his disciples and he's preparing them for what's gonna come next where he will no longer be with them and they cannot come where he is going and he's concerned for them. We can hear that just in the way he addresses them. He says, little children. And this was not Jesus' common way to address his disciples. This was unique to this moment, to his concern. It's also unique, I think, because it points to the value we're naming today. It points to the fact that they were children of the same family. You know, John, in the book of John, it's clear that, 
that he's not talking about the children of God generically, as if you know, everyone is made by God, and so everyone is a child of God. He's talking very specifically about what it means to be children of God. Right from the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 12, John says this, the children of God are those who receive Jesus. To those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, the children of God are those who believe in Jesus, who receive him, not just believe that he existed, but receive him as their hope, as their Lord, as their Savior, as those who have put their trust in him, that he has done for them what they could never do for themselves, making them new, giving them new birth, new life through God himself. And Jesus is saying to them in this moment, children, in that, in that address, he's giving them a new identity. You are the children of the family of God. You're part of the family. And as part of the family, he wants them to know so clearly what the family should look like, what it's supposed to feel like. And so he tells them, a new command I give you, love one another. I think it's really easy for us to hear that, especially if you've been in the church for a while and just kind of be like, duh. Right? Of course, Jesus says we should love one another. Isn't that all? Everything? He's always talking about love. Yes, love, 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 love. Okay, great. What's next? As if we graduate beyond love. And others hear this and go, yes, exactly right. All you need is love. And if we would just love one another, the world would be such a better place. But Jesus is saying that this is a new command. So what's new about it? Because I think we, we hear it and we feel like it's very familiar to us. And Jesus' disciples would have felt like it was very familiar to them as well. Because the Old Testament was steeped in this same reality to love God. Even to love your neighbor as yourself was integral to the Old Testament. So what is Jesus getting at? It's not new as in it's a new idea. It's new because he's going to completely redefine what love looks like what it's really about. And I think this is so important as we start thinking about what it means to be family, to value family. Because when you reflect on your family of origin, some of us have wonderful memories of our upbringing. We were in nurturing and supportive environments that were safe and secure that allowed you to thrive and to flourish, to become the person that you are, the person that God meant you to be. Others think about your family of origin and the experience you had and well, you received love when, when you abided by the, the written or unwritten family rules. When you performed appropriately, then you received the affection and affirmation, praise, or, or at least a little bit of peace where you were given some space and were not in that moment the object of scrutiny or even worse, abuse. Our family of origin teaches us something deeply about love, and it's not always a helpful message. But we carry it with us. And then we branch out from our families of origin, still asking as a core human question, what is love? So we start layering on extra messages, and now our culture and the world around us is telling us lots about love, or at least its perspective of love. I'm not talking about romantic love, though that's a whole nother conversation. I'm talking about familial love, love shared in a community of people bonded together. Frequently, our culture is telling us that love is this unconditional acceptance of the other, 
of all of their choices, of all of their habits, of all of their ambitions and their longings, and to accept that, even to affirm that, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Matter of fact, that last little part is really perhaps the highest ethical value of our culture today. You do you as long as it's not hurting anyone else. And the community becomes then this community of people that is just existing together, doing whatever they do as long as it's not hurting one another. Is that love? But it has redefined what love is like for our world. Because is it loving to allow someone to self-destruct even if they aren't hurting anyone else? Is it loving to allow someone to continue on a path and do nothing, at least to attempt to help get them on a better path if it's leading to pain and destruction for themselves? See, Jesus is redefining love in a way that cuts against all of our inadequate definitions of love that we were shaped with from our families of origin and the world is offering to us. He's saying to love one another as I have loved you. See, that's what's new. It's the as I have loved you part. See, what he's doing here is not giving a dictionary definition of love. What he's saying is that love is what I've shown you. It's all of my interactions with you over these years we've spent together. Everything I have done with you, to you, for you, everything I'm going to do in these moments right ahead of us, this is what love in the family is supposed to look like. And so it invites us to really consider deeply Jesus' interactions with his disciples over all of these years. He who is love, every one of his interactions was loving. So we're not going to be able to cover all of them this morning, but I want to give you just a representative few that I think are so important when we think about being family. What did Jesus do? We often think particularly first about Jesus' teaching, right? He taught them. He taught them all sorts of things about the values of the kingdom of God, what life was supposed to be like, how they were supposed to live it out in relationship to God, in relationship to one another, in relationship to the world outside of their little group. And in doing this, he was nurturing them. He was encouraging them to become what they were supposed to be. And he had to teach them over and over again because the way of God is so different than just the natural way of the world and life around us. And the family today still needs to be taught. We must teach one another because whether you're aware of it or not, we're all learning all sorts of things. We're just absorbing all sorts of things. It's just, it's like the rain that falls on us is the values of the culture in the world just kind of always constantly raining on us. And unless we're intentional about putting up an umbrella, the rain just soaks us and drenches us and becomes a part of us. And we must continue to teach one another the way that God intends for us. We also need to continue because it's not enough just to teach. It wasn't enough for Jesus just to teach. And this is because I, I, we're, we're all a bit slow. Okay, I'm a bit slow on the uptake and even more so slow on the obedience. Right? And so Jesus was constantly having to correct and even rebuke his disciples. In Luke 9, his disciples are having an argument. They're arguing about who's the greatest among them. And I mean, doesn't this just sound like family? You know, doesn't that just sound like a good old-fashioned sibling rivalry? The kids just jockeying for position in the family. And, And so as they're arguing, Jesus takes a little child and he places this child right in the middle of them. And he stands next to the child. And he tells them, 
Whoever welcomes a little child like this welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And so here's what you need to understand. Whoever wants to be the greatest among you must become the least, like this child. In this moment, Jesus is just shutting down sibling rivalry. Right? He's making it clear that your arrogance and your pride, your jockeying for position, destroys the family. Instead, what is needed is to become humble, to take a position of even a little child. And it's, it's not enough simply to be with one another, but we must take a position of service to be for one another. So often I think in the church we're guilty of being with each other, near each other, but not really for one another. See, Thomas Aquinas actually defined love this way. He said, love is willing the good of others. Willing the good of others. Seeking their highest, their best good is what love really looks like. And Jesus was saying to them in this moment, it's to seek the other's good, not your own good. They're greatest, not you the greatest. He's also in this one moment demonstrating to them that the family is not about who's worthy and unworthy because the child, a child would not have been worthy to come into their midst. He was a rabbi. Children had no business being there and yet here Jesus is using this child and he does it over and over again as an example. And in this moment, he's defining who's worthy and who's not. He's saying, often we tend to want to define who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's unworthy of being part of the family. Who's worthy and unworthy of my time, of my attention, of my affection, of my service, of my willingness? And see, God, he doesn't look at people the same way we do. He he looks at them and he knows that in, in each and every person, we were made in the image of God with an inherent dignity and an inherent value to us. And when, when we come by faith in Jesus Christ, we get enfolded into this family no matter what our background was before. And so this gospel of Jesus that through Jesus we can be all invited into this family cuts across all of the divisions that we tend to set up as humans. See, family by its definition tends to be kind of insular. You know, it's pretty hard to break into family. You know if you're an in-law, it can be challenging because you're kind of an outlaw not an in-law, right? But we tend to set family up that way, but the gospel cuts across all of the divisions that we would make, all of our tribalism. It cuts across class. It cuts across political ideology. It cuts across culture. It cuts across gender. It cuts across generation. It cuts across race. It cuts across every single thing that we set up as a divide because Through all of it, every person, anywhere, the only way you're enfolded into the family is through Jesus Christ. So no one's better than the other. We all are brought into this family. And so there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, is what Paul says. We are enfolded into this family. And so Jesus has to rebuke his disciples and us for setting up boundary lines of those who are in and out. And we don't always do it consciously. We do it unconsciously, frequently, by holding so tightly to the things that we like, we value, that we're comfortable with, that it means others who don't have the same experience and background don't feel nearly as comfortable as we do. 
So Jesus rebuked his disciples so that he could create intimate relationships in the family. That was what he intended. Relationships where life was really shared with one another. At another point in the farewell discourse, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And the reason he says that this shift has happened from this hierarchical relationship to this intimate relationship of friendship is, he says, because I've shared with you the will of my father. In other words, Jesus is telling them his secrets. I don't know about you. Do you run around telling secrets to just random people you run into on the street? Probably not. You tell your secrets to those who you have a trusting, close, supportive, intimate relationship with. And Jesus is saying that's the kind of relationship that's supposed to be in the family. That kind of relationship where you can weep together and grieve together and laugh together and celebrate together through all of life. And Jesus then puts a really tangible edge on this whole thing right before what we just read, right before Judas bails out, Jesus does this crazy thing. All of his disciples have been wandering around outside, walking around in the dusty, dirty streets, and they come into the upper room, and what does Jesus do? Puts a towel around his waist, and he starts going around, washing the feet of his disciples. Those dirty, grimy, sandal feet. See, this was what a servant was supposed to do when they came into a home, but instead Jesus takes a posture of a servant. And he says, hey, this is an example for you. To go and do likewise, you will be blessed when you love each other like this. When you serve one another. When you put yourself under one another to seek the greatest good for the other. And ultimately, of course, Jesus takes that to the ultimate extreme as he then sacrifices voluntarily laying his life down on their behalf, on our behalf, so that we no longer have to be alienated from the Father in our sinfulness and our rebellion, but instead can be reconciled to the Father. This is what we talked about last week, to be a gospel-centered community is to realize that only through Jesus are we reconciled to the Father. Only through Jesus can we be the best that we're intended to be. This is what family is about. A community of support, of nurture, of encouragement, of teaching, of safety, of security, of rebuke, of correction, of service, of sacrifice, seeking the greatest and highest good of the other. Who doesn't want family like that? I think we have a deep longing within our hearts to belong to a people that we know are so for us that they would sacrifice for our greatest good. Man, this breaks down, doesn't it? Breaks down in our church, if we're really honest. Breaks down in a lot of different ways when we start thinking about who are the others that may not experience family the way you experience family among this people. It breaks down as Americans in particular because here's the problem with family. It's not about you. And it's not about me. So often we define ourselves based on our individuality, right? It's based on who we are defined against and apart from one another. It's about what makes me unique is what makes me special. But see, that's a very Western philosophical mindset. We're so steeped in it that we don't even think that that's a weird thing. But the Eastern philosophical mindset ascribes value to the individual, not based on our individuality apart from others, but actually based on your network of relationships, your community where you fit. 
That's what gives you meaning and purpose and makes you special and gives you place is not defined against and apart, but defined with and for the other. And so often we want to be defined ruggedly on our own, independent from the other. We want to be unique just like everybody else. And we all want to experience family, to feel what we've described so far as family this morning, that support, acceptance, and nurture. But here's the question. How does it happen for others if I'm so focused on getting it for myself? What about making the other feel supported, nurtured, accepted, served, rebuked, corrected, loved like this? See, it's everyone's responsibility to make family not just a few. And it's a two-way street. See, if it's not, it would be like this. It would be like going to your family reunion. And I hope this doesn't describe your family reunion. But you walk into the room for your family reunion and you look around and you see a whole bunch of people. It's probably an Italian family, lots of cousins. But nobody's talking to each other. Nobody's interacting except for one person over in the corner and you can see, oh, it's grandma. And grandma's talking to your uncle. And they're having a great time in that moment. And then grandma moves on and in that, after that, uncle just kind of takes that position as a wallflower and grandma moves on to another one. And every time grandma moves, somebody else is having a wonderful experience, but when she moves on, it just becomes quiet again. And I know this seems absolutely ridiculous, but when we think family is somebody else's responsibility, that's what we're treating it like. We're waiting for grandma to come and make me feel good for a moment rather than recognizing, no, it's my responsibility to move toward each and every other, to make them experience family. Because for Jesus, the family of God is so much more significant than biological nuclear family of origin. At one point, Jesus is teaching in a house and his mom, you know, Mary, kind of a big deal, especially Christmas time, we make a big deal. So Mary is outside with Jesus's biological half-brothers. And somebody comes into Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, your, your mom and your brothers are here. You know, you may want to go and, and talk to them. And Jesus in that moment says, my mother and my brothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. In that moment, Jesus says, no, the greatest sense of place and identity and belonging is a part of the family of God, not the nuclear family, not the biological family. Which is great news because if your nuclear family is awful, you've got a new family. If you have no family, if you live on your own, if you feel alone, the good news is there is family for you. And yet the question for all of us is, are we going to make family happen for each and every other, even if they're really that different from ourselves? We had our wonderful soup and serve event yesterday, as you heard about earlier, and it's a great time to be the family on mission, right? To, to gather together, to enjoy a meal, homemade soup, Grilled cheese sandwiches made by our youth. I mean, they can make a mean grilled cheese sandwich. And, and then we made handmade cards and we put together boxes with, with supplies and treats and snacks that are going to be sent to troops all over the world. Just as a way to make them feel loved and remembered and express gratitude. But I, I arrived a little bit early 
with our youngest Everett, who's three, and we walk into the room, and there was a few kids around in the room, and he's scoping the room, like most of us do when we walk in, looking for his people, right? And at one point, he says, my best friends aren't here. And he demands that we go look for them. He wants to go find kids, so he pulls me out in the hallway, and he wants to go down the hall and look in this room and see if anybody's there, and he wants to go down here and see if anybody else is there, and I have to stop him over and over again and say, no, our friends who are here today are our friends who are here today. But how many of us have a significant Everett streak in us? Oh, my best friends aren't here. I guess I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to be a part of that group because I don't know who's going to be there. And you know what? I'm not going to do this event or this service opportunity. I'm not going to step into that because I don't know if I'll, I'll be with anybody I know. And you know what? The only person I do know, I don't even think I like them. But see, the, the beauty and the challenge of family, you know this from your own biological family. You know the phrase. You don't get to pick your family. You can pick your friends. You can't pick your family. Same is true for the family of God. We don't get to choose who's in and out. You don't get to choose who your brothers and your sisters are. And it's a command, not a suggestion. A new command I give you. To love one another as I have loved you. See, family is not just for our benefit, though we benefit deeply. Family is also how we express to the world that there's something different going on in the church. Jesus said to them at the very end of the passage, hey, others outside of here, they'll know you're my disciples, my followers, by how you love one another. So if you love one another as I have loved you, the world is going to take notice. And they're going to realize there's something weird going on there. Because the church is not the building. We could scrap the building. The church is not the programs. And so none, no single program or thing that you're involved in is more important than any of the other because it's family is the people of God. The church is the people of God. And what the world needs to see is that there is a different way to be people. And what they see when they look at the church is not the profound love of Jesus that we share for one another. They see hypocrisy and judgmentalism, coldness. They see boring. They don't see a community of people that despite what the world would say, breaks down the dividing walls of race and class and generation and gender and all of those things, but that moves toward one another to create support and, and love the way Jesus loves. They don't see a community so fixated on the greatest good of one another. They see a community that looks basically like the world they live in. And so even as we name family, many of us have experienced family in this community. Many have not. And many who are not here are longing for family. Will they be enfolded? Will we move toward them? Will we seek the greatest and highest good of one another, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we're not sure we know or even like the people that we're with? Because this is what family looks like. 
And when we live it out, the world will see and they will be drawn to Jesus Christ who is the center of our family, not just the head of our family, but the power and the inspiration, the one who though we are sinners and live in rebellion against him, unworthy ourselves, he laid his life down to fold you in. So we can lay our lives down to love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this profound reality and truth that we are welcomed into your family. And we are adopted, that we are wayward and unworthy. Lord, we thank you that, that we did nothing to deserve it. Lord, may we, this part of your church, lean in and live into this value of family, though it will cost us as it cost you dearly. May we seek one another out, lift one another up, seek the highest good. And may the world see something weird as we live into family together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.